Texas Republican lawmakers are attempting to restore election integrity measures, many of which fell by the wayside during the crazy COVID election year. So very simple stuff, voter ID, that kind, that kind of stuff. They've got the votes. They've got the support of the people. There is no legal way to stop them from restoring election integrity. So the Democrat lawmakers in Texas fled the state. They actually chartered a plane and got out of the state. Now, the shenanigans are not going to last forever. They can't. They're actually ending right this very minute as I speak. Uh, but it, it does represent a very disturbing trend among these Democrat lawmakers. Namely, they have no trust in democracy whatsoever. This goes a long way, I think, toward explaining why public trust is cratering in the media, in the public health experts, and even in our elections. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Duval in the Wall, who says, notice how the people that lived through communist regimes are almost always conservative. I have noticed that. I have, and we're seeing that play out right now as the people in Cuba are taking to the streets to protest the regime, and a bunch of libs in this country are defending the regime, up to and including people in the Biden administration. Really makes you want something stable that you can rely on. When things get a little crazy in the economy, when inflation is a big worry, as it currently is, sometimes it might make sense to invest in precious metals, which I've really enjoyed doing, specifically investing in physical gold. Now, you might say, Michael, I don't have enough money to invest in physical gold right now. Yes, you do, because Acre has an ingenious way to do it. If you've got 30 bucks lying around, you can start investing in physical gold. The way you do it is you subscribe to their gold bars. When your gold stash reaches the price of their gold bars, Acre will discreetly ship physical gold to your house. Uh, Really, really great stuff. It is designed in California. It is sourced from one of the largest mints in Switzerland. Really good hedge on inflation, which everyone is really worried about right now. And we've been talking about it a lot. Head on over right now to getacregold.com slash Knowles. Start investing in physical gold today. Make sure you go to that URL because Acre's giving away a gold bar. To win the gold bar, tweet or post why you should be the recipient and mention at get underscore Acre. That is getacregold.com slash Knowles. Thank you, Acre Gold, for supporting the show. 51, at least 51 of the 67 Texas House lawmakers boarded chartered flights to Washington, D.C. So we're talking about private jets now to protest in support of the Corrupt Politicians Act. This would be HR1 and S1. This this is federalizing elections, taking power away from the states, upending the constitutional system, and trying to give Democrats a permanent advantage in elections. Uh, The walkout comes after Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced a special session of of Congress in Texas, Texas House, to focus on legislative priorities such as election integrity laws. So, these these Democrats are absolutely immune to irony, but if they were self-aware at all, they would uh, they would find some great irony in the fact that to protest voter ID laws, they got on a bus and then on a private jet to Washington D.C. In the photo that they posted from their journey, they have a 12 pack of Miller Lite. 
which they needed an ID to purchase. <laughs> you, you, so you can, you're saying that we need greater integrity around the ability to buy cheap beer than we do around our democracy. You know, they're always prattling on about our democracy, but then whenever we want to defend our constitutional uh, structures that, that protect our democracy, all of a sudden, they're not interested in that sort of thing. Then they get on a private jet, so I can't wait to hear them prattling on about environmental worries. They get on the private jet, and the kicker, none of them are wearing masks. <laughs> so they're telling us that we all need to wear masks because COVID is the worst, scariest virus ever in the history of the world. That, that filthy cloth that you put on your face, it's so super duper effective, and we've all got to wear it. Even if you got the vaccine, you need to wear 15 different masks. And then they aren't wearing them. How do I know? How do I know that all of these things happen? Well, one, they posted the pictures. But also, if you or I get on an airplane these days, we're, we're going to have to wear a mask because there is a federal mandate to wear masks on flights, unless you're flying private, in which case there's no stewardess to come up and down and yell at you to put your mask on. The hypocrisy is, is so outrageous it's so absurd. It's, it's not even worth pointing out. And there's this meme going around where people say it's not hypocrisy, it's hierarchy. It's not that the Democrats are failing to live up to their own standard. It's that Democrats believe that they, there is a different standard that they need to play by than Republicans are, that they are, they are more privileged and they ought to play by different, different rules. And that's what we're seeing happen here. And Kamala Harris could not be more proud. Kamala Harris uh, is very, so the, the Texas lawmakers make it to D.C., they, they host their own press conference. And during their press conference, they actually break out into song. We want to be standing there when a new Voting Rights Act for this century is there and the rights that were struggled, that so many lives were taken, so much courage was demonstrated, are preserved once again. I turn it back over to you for the questions and uh, thank you very much for all that you and all of your colleagues are doing here today. We will overcome. We will overcome. We will overcome someday. Deep in our hearts, I do believe we will overcome someday. I cannot take any more of the boomer LARPing. I can this is what's going on now is in the 1960s, you had a very consequential social movement called the, the civil rights movement. And it changed the way voting took place and it changed a lot of, a lot of the country. And today, all of these, it's as though time froze in 1965. It's as that, that everyone is just play acting what happened in 1965. And so they're trying to compare this effort to bre break the law in Texas to stymie election integrity reforms to the 1960s civil rights movement or some other really consequential movement. Don't forget these, these voting laws that are going on around the country in many, in many instances are just restoring protections that we had two years ago. They're not even, you know, we had, we had election integrity measures. Then last year, the liberal establishment got rid of all of them. And not all of them, but a great deal of them. And in some cases, explicitly violated the state constitution on the way elections are supposed to be conducted, notably in Pennsylvania. And now we're told that if you ever restore any of those things again, you know, those provisions that we had in place 18 months ago, if you ever do that, that that's basically Jim Crow, it's slavery, it's racist. It's, it's just so preposterous. Not just these silly Texas Democrats, 
Kamala Harris defending them. I do want to first start by uh, making a statement about the, the legislators in Texas who are showing extraordinary courage and commitment. I met with them when many of them traveled to Washington, D.C. We sat down and had an extensive conversation in the Roosevelt Room in the White House. And I applaud them standing for the rights of all Americans and all Texans to express their voice through their vote unencumbered. Um, I will say that, that they, are, um, they are leaders who are marching in the path that so many others before did when they fought and many died for our right to vote. So what, <laughs> what uh, Kamala Harris is saying is that if you have to show an ID to vote, this is a, a measure supported by a huge number of people, including uh, uh, by a number of polls, the majority of black people. This has become a racialized issue, but, but even the majority of black people, according to many polls, uh, support these sorts of things. Then, then you're disenfranchising people. You are. You're disenfranchising illegal aliens. You're disenfranchising uh, political hacks. You're dis- disenfranchising people who shouldn't be voting. That's, that's what you're doing here. And she's saying that, you know, she applauds these Texas lawmakers. Make no mistake, the Texas lawmakers are subverting democracy, not just because they're trying to get rid of election integrity measures, but because they're violating the law. The the people of Texas elected their representatives, their legislators. The legislators are now pursuing their legislative agenda. The Democrats, because there's no legal way for them to stop this, just flee the state, which is against the law. And by the way, uh, which is going to result in their being arrested. So Governor Abbott came out. He, he was not having any, anything to do with this. He said that they're in violation of the law. The minute they land back in Texas, they'll be arrested. They'll be brought back to the Capitol. But that actually probably won't even be necessary now because a few Democrats were pried off. They've now voted with the Republicans. They couldn't withstand the public pressure to do so. And the election integrity measures will be restored. At the total... Uh, disadvantage to the, all these Democrats. You know, all of these Democrats are, are desperately trying to prevent these kinds of measures, not just in Texas, but everywhere. Why? What are they so afraid of? Why are Democrats so insistent on making permanent the corrupt election practices that came up during the 2020 COVID lockdowns? This isn't just happening at the state level. This isn't just happening in Kamala Harris's press conferences, this is becoming a priority of the Biden administration. Jen Psaki, White House spokesman, comes out strongly against election integrity laws. He's very focused on this speech tomorrow, one that he himself wanted to deliver. Um, he'll lay out the moral case for why denying the right to vote is a form of suppression and a form of silencing and how he will use, he will redouble his commitment to using every tool at his disposal to continue to fight to protect the fundamental right of Americans to vote against the onslaught of voter suppression laws based on a dangerous and discredited conspiracy theory that culminated in assault on our capital. He'll call out the greatest irony of the big lie is that no election in our history has met such a high standard with over 80 judges, including those appointed by his predecessor, throwing out all challenges. He'll also decry efforts to strip the to vote as authoritarian and anti-American uh, as a, uh, and stand up against the notion that politicians should be allowed to choose their voters or to subvert our system by replacing independent election authorities with partisan ones. And he will highlight 
the work of the administration against this, the necessity of passing the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, and how we need to work together with civil rights organizations to build as broad a turnout and voter education system to overcome the worst challenge to our democracy since the Civil War. Many ironies here. First of all, the use of the phrase, the big lie, is, is not the own that the libs seem to think it is. What the, the libs are presenting is, is this idea of the big lie as being perpetrated by the Nazis. So when they use this phrase, the big lie, it's a term coined by Adolf Hitler, they, they are comparing their opponents to the Nazis. What they don't understand, though, because <laughs> they didn't read the book, is that, or really many, many history books at all, the big lie is a term coined by Hitler to refer to what he's accusing the Jews of doing with regard to a general in World War I. So <laughs> unwittingly, I think, the Democrats are actually making themselves the, Nazi, the Nazis in this, in this analogy. Furthermore, she says that the Republicans are pushing a big lie, which is all the more ridiculous because the 2020 election was the most secure election ever in American history. Now, even if you think there was, you know, basically nothing that would have swayed the 2020 election and yeah, maybe there were some issues here and there, but you know, everything was totally kosher. Does anybody really believe it was the most secure election ever in American history? Does anybody believe that? The expansion of widespread mail-in votes, which even Barack Obama a few years ago was acknowledging leads to fraud and abuse. The... uh, extension of, of election day to election season, the, the uh, lack of, of voter ID at the polls, the violation of state constitutions on election. I mean, the counting of ballots after the election. I mean, how, even if you think the election in the end turned out just fine, you can't possibly say that the election was the single most secure, highest standard election in American history. That is itself a big lie. <laughs> Third, Third, and I think this is the most important point, most voters favor these election integrity measures, according to every survey. There's a survey just came out, uh, 78% of voters, we talked about this a couple days ago on the show, 78% of voters said that in addition to stronger voter ID laws, they support signature verification, chain of custody controls, bipartisan observers overseeing the counting, cleaning up the voter rolls, 71% said they don't believe ballots should be accepted after election day. And a whopping 87% said that they're against ballot harvesting. So the Democrats are saying that the, our democracy is going to collapse because of election integrity measures, many of which we already had as recently as two years ago, that the vast majority of voters support. But the Democrats don't support the democratic voice of the people, and so they're trying to undermine that with the federalization of the elections. Speaking of polls, speaking of a divergence between what the people are saying and what the ruling liberal elite are saying, a new poll shows that 70% of black voters now believe that violent crime is a major crisis. Don't forget, the ruling Democrat elite says that that rising violent crime. It's imaginary. It's a racist dog whistle. Don't talk about it. It's white supremacy. It's whatever. Well, 70% of black voters think it's a big problem because it's happening in their neighborhoods, right? It's not, it's not happening in, you know, the sunny neighborhoods of Beverly Hills or something like that. It's happening in neighborhoods that have a disproportionate number of black voters. So by the way, this poll comes out from a Democrat research firm. So the, the Democrat firm shows 
that for the first time, crime ranked ahead of the pandemic as the top issue for all voters. More surprisingly, it was an issue that voters of both parties ranked highly, 57% of Republicans, 52% of Democrats. So the majority of both Republicans and Democrats and 70% of black voters say violent crime is a major crisis. And during all of this, so you've got, you've got as near a consensus on this issue as on any issue we have in, in the United States. The majority of everyone agrees you got to deal with this violent crime thing. At the same time, the ruling liberal elite, which is the, that's the minority group that doesn't agree with this stuff, is actually calling to abolish the police. An MSNBC host just came on uh, the show, The Beat with Ari Melber. I get, haven't heard of this show. Uh, I was guest hosted by Jason Johnson. Uh, professor uh, of journalism at Morgan State University, a frequent MSNBC contributor. They come on and discuss the need to abolish the police. I want to bring up this 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 in the background because this is really key. I don't think people understand how often this same kind of violence often visits the same families. We, we have a story that just came out talking about the fact that, you know, a young man who knew Eric Garner later on got pepper sprayed by the cops, that George Floyd's, uh, you know, girlfriend used to teach Dante Wright. The police seem to prey on the same black people over and over and over again. I've always made it abundantly clear. I believe abolishing police, getting rid of it entirely, starting from the beginning. We've done that before. We've done it with the Department of War. But in this moment, that's a conversation we can have tomorrow. You are going to hear from some more moderate voices in the Democratic Party who are trying to win votes that abolish the police doesn't mean abolish the police. About, no, defund the police. It just means, you know, reform it a little. No, it doesn't. AOC came out and corrected this the first time that Democrats tried to have both sides of the issue. She said, no, 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 abolish the police means abolish the police. And you're hearing this on MSNBC too, which is a major Democrat cable network. I say it's a, it's, it still gets very, very low ratings, but as far as Democrat cable networks go, it is, it is one of the big ones. And they are outright calling to abolish the police. Doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they're saying their argument is that the police are brutalizing these people like George Floyd, you know, who was just minding his own business, committing crimes, high on drugs, hiding drugs, resisting arrest. He was just minding his own business, you know, criminal record a mile long, robbed a pregnant woman reportedly at gunpoint, yeah, but he minding his own business. And then the police brutalized, victimized these people. And go in, it's so terrible. Police who are very often black or Hispanic themselves. It's white supremacy, though, we're told. Meanwhile, black voters are saying overwhelmingly, no, no, give us more police. We want <laughs> give the give us police so that we don't have the violent crime spike. But there's a huge divergence here between what the liberal ruling elite want and what the people want. You see this most notably with Robin D'Angelo's stupid book. Robin D'Angelo is one of these race hustlers who promotes the white fragility, anti-whiteness, uh, anti-racism, all this crazy stuff that we now we now talk about with this label critical race theory. Uh, it's, a, it's even a little bit broader than that or a little blunter than that. It's just an, an anti-white racial ideology. So Robin D'Angelo comes out. She had this bestseller with her first book. Her second book comes out, coincidentally, at the same time that my book, Speechless, comes out. Uh, my book, so, or around the same time, my book outsold hers by an order of magnitude, I think, at least. I, I, you know, it outsold it tremendously. And as uh, we've mentioned on the show, the, the New York Times uh, snubbed us, even though we sold 40% more books without any bulk sales than the number one on, on the New York Times list. Robin D'Angelo's book, I think it only sold like 3,500 copies or something like that, and they put her on the list. 
because, as I've mentioned in my own book, the left manipulates language to try to redefine reality, and they've redefined the term bestseller as well. And it does carry some cultural cachet. It does influence whose books get placed in the brick-and-mortar bookstores, for instance. A lot of people have written in, a lot of you have written into me and said, I've gone to three bookstores in my town and I can't find a copy of your book, even though it's number one on the Publishers Weekly list, for instance. I'll say, right, that's because people are making these decisions in no small part based on the New York Times list. So we can, we joke about the New York Times, who cares what they think, but they do still have cultural influence. These radical left cable news hosts still have cultural influence. These radicals who are disproportionately or who, are, or who are a very small portion of the population, have a disproportionate amount of political power. This is why, this is why some people don't believe the election results. Okay, I'm not, I, I want to be very clear for all of the radicals who, right now who are on YouTube and social media who wield disproportionate political power and who are going to shut this show down if I in any way say that the election wasn't the most secure election. I'm, I'm not talking about the election itself. I'm talking about why people don't trust the election. Those are different things. And the the reason that people don't trust the election is because the elites lie to us all the time. They lie to us about the virus. They lie to us about the vaccine. They lie to us about the masks. That's just the public health section. They lie to us about violent crime. They lie to us about the cops. They lie to us about what's going on in Cuba right now. They lie to us about everything, about everything. And they don't have any credibility. They do it. They urinate on our legs and they tell us that it's raining. And, and so we just don't have trust in them. That's not the people's fault. That is the fault of the ruling elites. If you want to see someone really take on the ruling elites, I'd recommend you check out my friend Candace. Candace, who hosts the eponymously named Candace. Uh, you can subscribe right now, dailywire.com slash Candace. You will get 25% off new memberships with code Candace. Make sure you check it out. You can also check out Candace's audio podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, MySpace, Zanga, LiveJournal, AOL Instant Messenger. I don't know. It's all over the place. Also, you can check out Ben's new book. It's a great book to pre-order right after you have ordered my book, Speechless, right the minute, the second you've done that, you can pre-order The Authoritarian Moment by Ben. I really like this book in part because the title is uh, also my future campaign slogan, Knowles 2028, The Authoritarian Moment. So go check that out. You can, you can pre-order that wherever books are sold. We'll be right back with a lot more. President Trump just showed up to a UFC fight, and when he walked into the stadium, huge cheers erupted. USA, USA. USA, 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 USA. You can see this goes on for a long time. People in the room loved Trump. I mention this not for any story about Trump or, or about UFC, but because, because of this, this issue that we've been talking about, why people don't totally trust the 2020 election. They saw Trump being cheered, huge crowds wherever he goes. They saw him win the 2016 election when all the experts told us 99% chance he was going to lose. And they see Joe Biden and they see that Joe Biden is not functioning 
even as well as he used to, and it's, he was never the brightest bulb in the pack. They see Joe Biden show up to campaign events. Nobody's showing up. You'd have 18 people in the field. They're seeing all of these election laws magically being changed right before the election. They're seeing, in some cases, illegal, outright illegal and unconstitutional election practices. And, and this is the crucial part, they're seeing the liberal establishment continue to lie to us about basically everything. And, and so I'm, I'm not saying, I am not saying that the election was stolen. I'm not saying that Donald Trump got more votes. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm really not. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that it is perfectly reasonable for people not to believe these liars in the ruling elite who sneer at the majority of Americans, who ignore the preferences of the majority of Americans. I mean, just take this issue we were talking about, violent crime. Everybody, the majority of everybody wants to reduce violent crime. The ruling establishment won't do a damn thing about it. And they they actually are pushing to abolish the police. Look at the issue of immigration. The majority of Americans want to drastically reduce immigration. Legal and illegal. This is a very easy issue. It's a winner. It's a winner of an issue. Such a winner that it propelled Donald Trump to the presidency in 2016, despite the best machinations of the liberal establishment, which was spying on his campaign, which was trying to undermine his campaign, doing lots of nefarious and almost certainly illegal things. And he still won because of that issue. But what's the establishment telling us? No, we need more immigration. Beep, boop, beep, beep, boop. We need to send more jobs overseas. And then we need to bring in more workers here, especially low-skilled workers across the border, to compete with Americans and lower their wages. That's that's what we need, right? No. No, they don't. They just have different priorities than the majority of the American people. we're, We're told constantly with this coronavirus. 15 days to slow the spread. Ha ha. It's 18 months later. Whatever. Deal with it. Twerps. Wear the mask. Don't wear the mask, sheep. Wear the mask, sheep. Put the mask on the three-year-old sheep. It's just changing constantly. And now, by the way, according to Politico, Biden allied groups, including the Democratic National Committee, are working with cell phone carriers to pry into your text messages to stop what they call disinformation, in particular about COVID. It's not enough. It's not enough that uh, an article in the New York Post comes out detailing corruption by the Biden family right before the election and big tech shuts you down from posting that. But a completely accurate report, 100% true report. They stop you from posting it. They stop you from privately messaging it on social media. Meanwhile, conspiracy theories about Trump and the Russians or whatever are promoted from the highest echelons of power. Now, forget your Twitter, forget your Facebook. They want to go into your text messages because if you're texting someone an unapproved message, a message that contradicts the ever-changing dogmas of the liberal regime, why? Well, that's a big problem. That's a threat to our democracy. So a handful of utterly unaccountable people now are going to try to go in to, to uh, pry into your messages. The goal, they say, is to ensure that people who may have difficulty getting a vaccination because of issues like transportation. See those barriers lessened, or it's just to help you, just for your own good, isn't it? The people know that they can get a vaccine. The people know what coronavirus is. They know that they can get a vaccine. They are not making the choice that the liberal regime wants, and so they're going to apply pressure. Dr. Fauci said that that this is all horrifying, that, that people who are now cheering on certain figures in journalism and and medical science and politics who are suggesting maybe we can just use our prudence with the vaccine and maybe not everybody needs to go get it right away. Fauci says this is absolutely horrifying. They were hoping, the government was hoping 
that they could sort of sucker 90% of the population into getting vaccinated. And it, and, and it, and it isn't happening, right? There, there's a y- younger people. I'm going to cut him off right there because he just goes on to just say things that are not true about the vaccine. But what I wanted to get your reaction to is the crowd cheering when this gentleman talks about how the government was not able to achieve a 90% vaccine goal. The crowd cheers. Um, as a public health official, what's your reaction when you hear that? It's, it's, it's horrifying. I mean, they're cheering about someone saying that it's a good thing for people not to try and save their lives. I mean, if you just unpack that for a second, Jake, it, it, it's almost frightening to say, hey, guess what? We don't want you to do something to save your life. Yay! Everybody starts screaming and, and clapping. I just don't get that. I mean, I, and I don't think that anybody who's thinking clearly can get that. What is that all about? I, I don't understand that, Jake. The FDA, by the way, just added another warning to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because of, of a, a nerve, nerve system uh, risk, especially in young people. Obviously, there's already, there was already the pause on the vaccine because it was causing blood clots in, in some women. Uh, the mRNA vaccine is, has been, uh, it has been suggested not just by people on the internet, but by the FDA and the C- CDC that it's causing myocarditis, the inflammation of the heart in young people who face statistically very, 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 very infinitesimally small risk from coronavirus itself. 13 year old boy just died because of the inflammation of the heart just a few days after he received the vaccine. No proof yet of a correlation here or of causation, but it would, it would, uh, seem probable. It's being investigated right now. So Alex Berenson, who was the journalist who was speaking at the top, he says, look, the government was trying to get everyone to get this vaccine. But while some people, some groups of people are at a fairly significant risk from COVID, other groups of people are at very, 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 very little risk from COVID. And so they're saying, well, why would I get this experimental drug that doesn't even have a full FDA approval. It's got an emergency youth authorization. Why would I get that for a virus that poses statistically very little risk to me? Horrifying. Just to save your life. Hey, hey, for all you unwashed, rube, deplorable, unvaccinated idiots out there, you still alive? You still, you're fine? You feel good? You feel, okay, cool. Good. Glad. I'm glad. It's a shock to Dr. Fauci, that genius. Not just on the vaccine stuff, though, that has been the the most recent notable expression of the progressive bureaucracy and technocracy. But you're seeing it in Cuba. Cuba, I think, is really putting this in stark relief. The people in Cuba protesting for freedom, protesting an end to communism and the dictatorship. American liberals defending it. David Harbour, who is, you remember him, he was the guy on Stranger Things. He's he's a big lib. He gave a, a an award speech a few years ago where he not, not so subtly was attacking conservatives. This was after Trump won and said that he was going to punch people in the face. Do you remember this? As we act in the continuing narrative of Stranger Things, we 1983 Midwesters will repel bullies. We will shelter freaks and outcasts, those who have no homes. We will get past the lies. We will hunt monsters. And when we are at a loss amidst the hypocrisy and the casual violence of certain individuals and institutions, we will, as per Chief Jim Hopper, punch some people in the face when they seek to destroy the meek and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. 
yeah, political violence. We are going to physically harm our political opponents because that's what we do in our democracy. That's, that's right. No civility, no legal processes. We're just going to punch them so that we don't become like the fascists. <laughs> what a dope. So this guy, this guy, that was a few years ago. He comes out now and he says, quote, this is an, an interview just a few days ago. I don't know that there is anyone who could disagree with socialist ideology. I wish this was a print interview. If it were a video interview, I'd, I wish you could hear him yell. I don't know anyone who could disagree with socialism. He says, I don't know anyone who could disagree with socialist ideology. If you work at Starbucks and you make the coffee, then you should own it. You're the one making the coffee. Okay, so hold on. I just, uh, we, we, don't, we don't have time on this show to dispel the, this theory of, of property ownership, that if you in any way interact with some piece of property, that then you own the property. What about the guy who grew the beans? What about the guy who transported the beans? What about the guy who roasted the beans? What about the guy who built the Starbucks? What about the guy who produced the cups? What about the guy who produced the little sleeve for the cup? What about the person who is ringing up the customer? What about the person who laid out the capital to start the whole thing in the first place, whether it's the farm or the Starbucks? He doesn't have much of an answer for that. He doesn't know much about anything. His first point is the most ridiculous. I don't know anyone who could disagree with socialist ideology. What about the people in Cuba right now? Because you, rich Hollywood guy living in America, you seem to love socialism in theory. The people living under socialism in Cuba hate it in practice. And their symbol, by the way, of protest is the American flag. They've been waving it in the streets of Havana. They put it on their bicycles. They sew it onto their jeans. I saw it firsthand when I, when I visited here, the American flag is called a symbol of oppression and hatred. There, it's a symbol of freedom against the communist tyranny. But they lie to us. They lie to us. Lawrence O'Donnell, who's another guy on MSNBC, he just came out, he said, you, you, knew, you knew it was going to happen. You knew that the problem, in, the problem can't be socialism because, because true socialism has never been tried. Right? True communism, it's never been tried. This is what we always hear after the failure of every communist and socialist regime in history, it's never been tried, you see. So you just got to try it one more time. Then it's going to work out. And that is the issue in Cuba. It's not, the problem is not socialism. It's the dictatorship. If the United States had been wise enough to remove the embargo 50 years ago, the Cuban dictatorship would have had no convenient excuse for the deprivations Cuba has suffered. Cuba's agonies tonight are only partially assignable to the embargo and almost entirely the fault of 60 years of dictatorial government by economic illiterates. Cuba's problem is not too much socialism, as Republicans would have you believe. It is too much dictatorship, second only to North Korea at this point. Okay, it's, it's not too much socialism. It's too much dictatorship. Okay, okay, let's just go with that for a second. Lawrence. What kind of dictatorship is it? <laughs> How'd they get the dictatorship, Lawrence? <laughs> yes, there are other types of dictatorship in the world. There are, there are plenty of types of dictatorship. The one in Cuba is a socialist dictator. It's a communist dictatorship. You say it's like the North Korea. What kind of dictatorship is that one, Lawrence? <laughs> well, no, you see, the reason that the dictatorship stayed in power is because of the United States' punitive economic policies because we won't trade with Cuba. Okay. So if you're, you're saying if we start trading with Cuba quite a lot, then the political regime will collapse, right? 
That was the argument for China. The argument for bringing China into the economic mainstream, bringing China into the World Trade Organization, bringing China to the table and, and really raising them up as a, an economic powerhouse was that when you had economic liberalization, the communist regime would fall. That's, that was what we were told. The Chinese Communist Party today is stronger than it has ever been before. Domestically and internationally, by the way, it flopped, it failed. This was a policy pushed especially by Joe Biden. There's lots of clips of Joe Biden claiming, making the prediction that when you bring China into the World Trade Organization, for instance, when you rise up China, it's going to be great for every country and it's going to, it's going to give more political freedom to the Chinese people. China just invaded Hong Kong. There's no political freedom there anymore. China's about to invade Taiwan. It's going to aggress on, on all of the other places in the South China Sea. They're, they've got a social credit system in there. They're committing a genocide in one of their, their provinces. China's communist dictatorship is stronger than ever. It is not because we're not trading with Cuba that the people are suffering. It's because of the system itself. When, when the Cuban people are screaming, libertad, libertad, you can either believe them or you can believe Lawrence O'Donnell. You can either believe the people who are, who are calling out for these sorts of things, not just in Cuba, but in the United States too, or you can, or you can believe the minority, tiny, ruling elite, the liberal establishment, people who are using people like Lawrence O'Donnell as mouthpieces. The liberal establishment in our country and the ruling establishment in governments around the world, in Cuba, in China, elsewhere, have no faith in people. We are obviously, the Cuban dictatorship has no faith in the Cuban people. That's why they don't give them any political power and they suppress them. Obviously, that's true in China, but it's also true in the United States. I think to, uh, they're, they're not as successful in the United States because we still have some semblance of a constitutional government, but it is being chipped away at every day. Most recent example. Well, we talked about the Texans, obviously. The Texas Democratic legislators have such little faith in the people of Texas that they actually violated the law so that they wouldn't have to carry out the, the job that the people of Texas sent, sent them to do, namely to defend election integrity. Kamala Harris at the, at the federal level is saying this. The reason that we need to federalize the elections, the reason that we need to upend our constitutional system and take away safeguards for elections, the reason that you're not allowed to require an ID to vote, is because it's, it's, quote, almost impossible for rural Americans to in any way prove that they are who they say they are. They, they can't even go make a photocopy. Is agreeing to voter ID one of those compromises that you'd support? I don't think that we should underestimate what that could mean. Because in some people's mind, that means, well, you're going to have to um, Xerox or, or, or photocopy your ID to send it in to prove you are who you are. Well, there are a whole lot of people, especially people who live in rural communities, who don't. There's no Kinkos. There's no Office Max near them. People have to understand that when we're talking about voter ID laws, be clear about who you have in mind and what would be required of them to prove who they are. Of course, people have to prove who they are but not in a way that makes it, them, it almost impossible for them to prove who they are. It's, it's almost impossible. Those, those dopes, those idiots, who, who, you know those rube, unwashed deplorables who don't live in New York and San Francisco? 
which by the way are much filthier places than <laughs> anywhere in the middle of the country. You know, the unwashed masses, they can't, you expect them to be able to use a Xerox machine? You expect, hold on, you're telling me that they're going to have to go find a photocopier, which they certainly can. But even if they couldn't, you're telling me then if there's no photocopy machine within a hundred miles of the people in rural America, they're going to go, they're going to need to have a printer. You know, that technology that's been around for like 40 years. They're not going to, they're, they're going to have to do that. You can get for like 20 bucks. They're going to have to be able to take a photo of their ID on their phones that they all have and then, and then produce it somehow, like on a piece of paper. Can't expect that. Can't expect that of them. They're too stupid to do that. They're too stupid and poor and dumb and deplorable. And that is why we need to federalize all of the elections and take away all the safeguards. I love to, she, she does this thing that politicians used to do, you know, more so than now where they, it's that Bill Clinton thing of, well, I support the opinion of the majority, but I really sympathize with the minority. Mm, you know, like, uh, you know, he just tries to have his cake and eat it too, have a cigar and, and smoke it too. So she's trying to do this and she says, of course you need to be able to prove you are who you say you are, but not in a way that's almost impossible to almost, there, there is no simpler way than photocopying your ID. I'm not saying you have to send your physical ID and not saying you need to go get a new ID, not saying just, you know, just like any proof the, the, the only less onerous way of submitting voter ID would be like scribbling your name in a crayon on the back of the ballot of the mail-in ballot, which by the way, we shouldn't even have those, <laughs> but she doesn't have any, any faith in the people. And she also, she also, by the way, doesn't have faith that she would win elections if we had even the most basic ballot measures. Now, speaking of rural Americans, we got some good news. Joe Biden has been pushing a farm program that explicitly would discriminate against white farmers. The farm program, uh, which we covered uh, when it it was first proposed, would uh, offer major grants for, quote, socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers defined as black, Indian, feather not dot, or Alaskan Native, Hispanic, Asian, or Hawaiian Pacific Islander. And so it would, it would get, just basically give away money to, to those kinds of farmers, but it would require farm, white farmers to pay back certain loans. And so it's obviously illegal, obviously deeply racist and bigoted. Uh, a third judge just struck that down. U.S. District Judge Thomas Anderson of the Western District of Tennessee issued a preliminary injunction to stop the Biden Agriculture Department from delivering these race-based loan payments. Uh, good news. I'm glad. This is why I say it's not, when I point out eerie comparisons between the ruling elite in tin pot dictatorships like Cuba and here in the United States, I, I do want to point out it, it's not that bad yet. We, there is still some semblance of constitutional government. There's still some semblance of law and order. The problem is that the left is, is doing its best to undermine them, to uh, upend all of the traditional standards at the legal level and at the social level, in the schools especially. There's a really disturbing story out from Wisconsin. Wisconsin School District, a Wisconsin school district is providing sexually explicit books to third graders. Uh, Some of the material teaches students how to use sex apps. These are to eight-year-olds, by the way. Uh, Now, the the way this is being provided is that the, the school district is offering students access to books and information via an online library that includes books such as This Book is Gay by Juno Dawson, Queer by Kathy Belge and Merck Beach, 
Uh, and uh, this book is gay, by the way, teaches kids how to use Grindr, which is a gay sex app. So what, what the defenders of this are going to say is, oh, they just have access to it, but they're not being assigned these sorts of books, right? But they, they shouldn't have access. They should, that's the point. I'm, I'm not making an argument for ban, banning and burning books explicitly, okay? Although that sort of practice is looked on favorably in both the New Testament and, uh, and by Plato, the, like one of the founders of Western philosophy. But I'm not making that argument, okay, even though Plato famously called for the burning of his, of his opponent's books. My question is much more modest. Should eight-year-olds really be exposed to everything? Is a third-grade classroom really a free marketplace of ideas? I think the very thought that that would be the case would have our founding fathers rolling over in their graves. Something tells me the majority of people do not support explicit creepy sex books for kids or any of this stuff or the crazy racial theories or the crazy gender theories or any of it. I think it's a small minority of ruling elites pushing this stuff. The vast majority of the people don't want it and the ruling elites are gaslighting it about all of us, which is why we just don't trust them anymore. And Dr. Fauci might be horrified by that and Jake Tapper might be horrified by that and the whole ruling elite might be horrified. But guess what? It's their fault, and, and they're not doing very much to increase their credibility. I'm Michael Knowles. It's The Michael Knowles Show. We will get into more tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, Be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. A Facebook documentary shows the trials and tribulations of a father who identifies as a mother and is now trying to breastfeed his child. Shockingly, it's not going well. Joe Biden claims that voter ID laws are the new Jim Crow. Anthony Fauci says that your three-year-old still needs to be masked. Another ESPN host finds himself in a racism controversy. And we'll talk about the campaign for greater fat acceptance in the workplace. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show.